Praise God for all people who teach children. <laughs> and y'all are praying for them this week too because it's the week before spring break, right? Yeah. After a time change and a full moon. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Hear these words. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. It is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, our history is history of the world is littered with kings and kingdoms and those clamoring to become kings over kingdoms. And with the rise of kings and kingdoms, you inevitably have violence and coups to take over those kings and kingdoms. In our history as Americans, we have uh, a date that we all know, July 4th, 1776, in which we declared our independence. We didn't want a king. And just this last week, all good Texans celebrated March 2nd, Texas Independence Day. That's right, exactly, where we uh, declared our independence from Mexico. You know, when I was in seminary in Kentucky, we used to, on uh, uh, March 2nd, we would uh, drape the statue of John Wesley in the Texas flag, uh, and we tried to get it as a national holiday in Kentucky, but they didn't oblige us for some reason. But the Bible is filled with stories of, of kings and different kingdoms. Kings faithful to God and, and kings not so faithful to God. Stories of intrigue and murder and deception as men clamored to become king. Let me just give you one example from uh, the Old Testament and the book named First Kings. In chapter 16, we have this the story, it's the year 876 BC, just so you kind of know where we are. 876 BC, and the king of Israel was a man named King Elah. There he is, a picture of him right there. It's not really his picture, but I think that's what he looked like. But King Elah, he reigned over the nation of Israel, and he had a commander over half of the Calvary, and his name was Zimri. 
And Zimri, one day when, when Elah was in his throne room, he was getting drunk. Great king, huh? And, and Zimri came in and killed him. And he took over the throne. And then Zimri went and he killed all of Elah's family. Everyone who could have a claim to the throne. And Zimri reigned over Israel a whole seven days. Because there was another military commander, a man named Omri, who was a commander over the whole army, who uh, they put as the ruler. Many of the people wanted him to be the ruler over Israel. And so when Zimri heard that Omri was placed as a, as a ruler, Zimri went into his home, burned his house down around him, and killed himself. And so now Omri is the ruler of Israel. Yeah. Uh, and, but there was someone else that many of the people wanted to lead Israel as well, a man named Tibni. Now, they set up these dual kings, so you have Omni and Tibni, and, uh, and half followed Omri, though eventually killed Tibni, so that Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned for 12 years. All that happened in just two-thirds of a chapter, in chapter 16 of 1 Kings, all clamoring to be the king of the Jews. This is the struggle that we as humanity find ourselves in. We want to be king. Who will be our king? Who is the king of our lives? And, and so as we start this Lenten series, we're looking at the struggle that we face as, as Christians in that sense of who ultimately is going to be king of our lives. Who is going to be king of our lives? And we're going to be walking through the gospel of Matthew this this whole season over the next six weeks. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't read Matthew, or even if you have, to to read it again over this season. There's only 28 chapters, and over the next six weeks, you'll have plenty of time to read it. You only only have to read about a chapter a day, and if you miss a day or two, you'll still be all right. You'll you'll make it through the whole time. But as you're reading Matthew, uh, I want you to ask yourself the question, what are the characteristics of kingship in the kingdom of God. What are the characteristics of kingship in the kingdom of God? What are the characteristics of the true king? This is important. We must get that right. Let's go to the next slide there so they can see the question. What are the characteristics of kingship in the kingdom of God? As you're reading Matthew this next six weeks, that's what I want you to ask yourself. So our text today, though, from Matthew, uh, has a lot to deal with that. Now, typically, we read this text at Christmas time, right? This is a famous text we read quite a bit at Christmas. But I want us to uh, dislocate it from Christmas time and, and put it in our context here because it has a lot to say about kingdoms and kingship and who is king. So we're gonna, I'm going to read this familiar passage to us again. And as I read again, uh, see if you can't place yourself in the story and, and look at words that stand out to you and, and themes that might stand out to you as we read. So here we go again. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. 
And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I might also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there headed them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. As we start this journey through the book of Matthew, I want to give you just a little bit of context in the book itself. The gospel of Matthew, if you've ever read it before, it starts out with a bang, doesn't it? right? With a long genealogy. It's the most boring way to start a gospel, in my opinion, but that's, that's me. Uh, but there was a purpose for it. It starts with this genealogy, and it's, it's there to connect Jesus, his lineage, all the way back to Abraham through King David, so that he had the proper bloodline to be king. It's setting up Jesus's authority to be king. It's, it's giving us some of the back ga- background history, But right after that genealogy, it goes into the birth and what's happening before the birth. And it really doesn't talk much about the actual birth of Jesus. And then it just skips right ahead to after Jesus was born. And that's where our text comes in from chapter two. And, but the text also locates this birth in time and space. It says it's during the reign of King Herod. And what do we know of King Herod? We know several things, actually, from history that has been written about Herod. He was a shrewd politician who had risen to power after the Roman general Pompey conquered Jerusalem and all of Palestine in in 63 BC. He was descended from both Arab and Jewish roots. He had both in his background. He was an Edomite. You know what an Edomite was? An Edomite came from uh, Isaac's son Esau. He was born in that lineage. And so he was part Jewish. And he was the Roman appointed ruler of Judea, of the nation of Israel. And so you can see that some of the people there, uh, they thought that Herod had kind of bowed down to Rome because he was appointed by Rome. And indeed he did. And, and, and when people ask the question, what kind of king was Herod? The answer is it depends It depends on what you think of kingship and what it means to be a king. But supposedly Caesar Augustus said that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. That gives you some context of how Herod ruled. He was ruthless. He was powerful. He did whatever it took to stay in power. He was the type of leader that did whatever it took. He would pay off whoever he needed to pay off. He was paranoid. He feared his throne being overtaken. He placated whoever he thought would help him stay in power. He was tried for treason a couple of times, and he always got out of it. I'm sure he's paying people off to get out of it. And, but in doing so, he builds up this, this great palace for himself, this place of power in Israel, and, and built fortresses along the eastern border uh, of Judea to help keep invaders from the east from coming in. 
From the West, he didn't have to worry because who was on his West? Rome. And he was the Roman-backed ruler. But he wanted to stay in power. He, uh, he tried to pacify, though, the Jewish people, too, even though some of the, the Jews didn't like him. But what he did to help pacify the Jewish leaders is he tried to make sure it was a good economy. And he helped rebuild the temple to its glory. And that's what Herod did. And Herod was known as the king of the Jews. That was his title, the king of the Jews. So into this scene, we have our text. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where's the child who's been born king of the Jews? Wow, you can see that there's gonna be a problem, can't you? Just knowing a little bit about who Herod is. Now, these wise men, you know, sometimes we've called them kings, but they weren't kings. They, they, we sometimes call them magi. And, and magi were uh, pagan religious leaders. They uh, were from Babylon, most likely. And, and they were famous for their understanding of science and astrology and astronomy and, and magic. And, and if most people believe they did come from Babylon, and if they did come from Babylon, they traveled about 900 miles to get to Israel. Can you imagine? It would have taken them several months to get there. It would have probably taken them several months to prepare for the trip to be able to take that long trip. Now, this isn't an easy trip. Uh, it's not an inexpensive trip to travel 900 miles to take your food with you. That had a been a lot of planning. They would have followed the Euphrates River and the trade routes going north. And then they would have come all the way north to Syria and then come back down to Jerusalem. That was about the only way you could get there. Because if you went due uh, west, you would have to go through the desert. And that was almost impossible to get there to Israel that way. And tradition says that there were three wise men that came. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say how many wise men there were. We don't know. It's just tradition. It, the tradition is three because they gave three different gifts. But the thing we have to understand about this group that came to Jerusalem is that this wasn't a small group of people. This was a huge entourage of people coming to see this newborn king. You have to understand that. For them to get the attention of Herod, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem, it couldn't have been a small group. They had to be an overwhelmingly large group to get their attention. And, and if you can imagine, just picture the scene. Just try to place yourself in Jerusalem at that time. You have to know you're over, you have Roman occupation. You always have invaders from the east. Herod has tried to fortify those uh, defenses as well. But here you have all of a sudden coming into your city, this huge entourage, camels and donkeys and sheep and goats and these people that look different from you and dress different from you. Why are they here? Are they coming to invade? Are they just passing through? Do they want to settle down here? What is their purpose? Why are they here? And so people are kind of coming out of the woodwork to look at these people and say, what's going on? And Herod and the religious leaders also did the same thing. And we see the actual reaction of Herod and the rest of Jerusalem. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod frightened? He didn't like change. <laughs> 
He doesn't like anyone messing with his kingdom. Now, the other reason why Herod would be frightened and not excited is because he is the king of the Jews. So why is Jerusalem frightened? Because Herod is king of the Jews. And they know how his temperament is. And they don't want him to get upset and mad. Now, just to give you some more context about Herod. Herod put a hit on his first wife twice while they were still married. Yeah, that's the kind of person Herod was. Uh, And so Jerusalem, the leaders, they're scared too. Because who are these people coming in? Don't upset Herod. Don't make him mad. Uh, But even more than that. The leaders there have aligned themselves with Rome, right? They, they want to make sure that, that Rome doesn't destroy them. So they've aligned themselves with Rome. If that power base is threatened, then their power is threatened as well. Kind of sounds like politics today as well. But just think about this. Here's an announcement about the possibility of a, the coming of their Messiah, their true king, here in Jerusalem, the center of Judaism. And you would expect the religious leaders to be excited, yet they are afraid. They would prefer Herod, the king of the Jews, to a promised Messiah who's the true king of the Jews. And so the question has to be asked, who is going to be the true king? Who's gonna be the true king? So these magi, these magi, they announced that they, they saw the Messiah's star rise in the east and they have come to worship him. Now, if you don't know, way back in the book of Numbers, one of my favorite books, right? Way back in the book of Numbers, there's an actual prophecy about this star. And, and this prophecy comes from another pagan religious leader, a man named Balaam. And this pagan religious leader has a prophecy. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so many religious leaders and people of the day thought that this prophecy pointed to a future Messiah that was to come. But back to our story, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they tell Herod about another prophecy which states where the king is to be born. And that's in Bethlehem. So Herod calling together all the chief priests, the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. This, this prophecy comes from the Old Testament book of Micah. And that's where this prof- prophecy is found. Now, you know the rest of the story. Herod sends the Magi to go and seek after this newborn king. And when they get there, they're miraculously shown where this uh, child is, is living. Uh, but what do these, and, and many of us have this wrong understanding of, of the wise men. The wise men did not show up the day Jesus was born. He, they showed up after. It could have been as late as two years after Jesus was born. And so when they show up, they, they didn't go to the, uh, they went to the house where they were living. Uh, and, and it says this, 
when they get there, the pagan religious leaders, they do this. They said on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are gifts of kingship. These are gifts of royalty that you would give to a king. They are gifts of reverence for a child who they think is going to be the next king of the Jews. And then let's read our final verse from our text. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now we know that Herod didn't want to come and and worship this newborn king. He had no desire for that at all. But we also know what happened next. Herod wanted to kill this newborn king. And so right after in the next chapter, when when Herod finds out that the wise men leave and go back and they kind of trick Herod, what does Herod do but send an army to Bethlehem and kill every male child two years old and younger? The slaughter of the innocents. See, he's going to do whatever it takes to stay in power. He's going to do whatever it takes to be the king of the Jews. The question of kingship has dire consequences, doesn't it? Because of Herod's actions, innocent children were killed because he wanted to be king. There are dire consequences of having wrong ideas of kingship. And that's what we're looking at in the gospel of Matthew. And see, here's the thing that we have to understand about God. He says, you know, if Israel won't acknowledge and protect the true king, then God in his sovereignty will use pagan astrologers, pagan religious leaders to journey hundreds of miles at great cost to provide for the newborn king and take great pains to travel back home without Herod knowing. What about your life? What actions are you taking to make sure that Jesus is king in your life? See, because I submit to you that there are dire consequences of getting this kingship wrong. Who will wear the crown of king in your life? It's easy for us as Christians to say Jesus is our king. But when the rubber meets the road of daily life, we often take the crown back, don't we? We want to be king. We want to do whatever it takes, like Herod, to be king of our own life. We want to stay in power. How many of you like to be in control? The rest of you are lying. See, when the people of Israel were confronted with the evidence of the star, and the birth side of Jesus, what do they do? They, they send pagan religious leaders to go check it out. We're just going to stay right here and comfortable. Y'all go check it out. Y'all go see if this is real. They can't be bothered with the birth of their king. We'll let someone else do the work of finding out and giving gifts to this new king. We'll let someone else do the hard work of traveling thousands of miles. They're spiritually complacent. How often do we wear the crown instead of bowing down to the true king? See, because Jesus' kingship should affect every area of our life. But even more than that, it should bring us 
joy. That's, that's the purpose of Jesus being king is it brings us joy. Joy should be the evidence of knowing that Jesus is our king. When the, when the magi, when they found the house, when they got in there, they worshiped him with joy, the text says. When we place Jesus as king, it will bring joy, but it will also bring some pain. Why? Because we're no longer in control. He is. These wise men were willing to travel hundreds of miles at great expense to give gifts reserved for true kings just to get a sight of the king of the Jews to experience the joy of seeing their king. Who is going to be the king of the Jews? It's kind of what Matthew's looking at. Who's going to be the king? Who's the rightful king? What are the characteristics of this king? That's the question Matthew's asking. But the deeper question I'm asking is, who will be your king? Who will be your king? The sobering reality is that the Jews of Jesus' day acted more like pagans and only gave lip service to their true king and served the pagan king Herod while the pagan religious leaders, the Magi, acted more like faithful servants by traveling hundreds of miles at great cost to give gifts of royalty to a king that wasn't even their king. What are you willing to do? How are you willing to live? Who have you placed as the king of your life? Your family? Your work? Your hobbies? The highest bidder? Who's in charge? Who is your king? So here's the question for the week. Lent's not an easy season. It's a season of asking tough questions. Who or what is preventing you from Jesus being the king of your life? What is preventing you from Jesus being the true king of your life? And I'm asking this of believers, right? Of Christians. If you're not a Christian, it's a different question for you. But I want you to reflect on that this week. Maybe even write it down. What's preventing you from giving Jesus the crown? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word, for your kingdom that is different from earthly kingdoms, for your kingship that is different from earthly kings, for your calling, which is different from an earthly calling, for your spirit that directs us, that dwells with us. As we reflect on Herod and the religious leaders and the wise men, help us to think about what is keeping us from crowning you king, from what is keeping us from humbly bowing before you, from what is keeping us from faithfully serving you, And God, I pray that you would uh, draw that out of us. Thank you, Lord, for your kingship. That you're still king no matter what we think and no matter what we do. But you are a good king. You're a king who desires the best for us. Thank you, God. In your holy name, amen.